You know, we're finishing up our uh, series on gaining a fresh perspective. And what we've been talking about is uh, a worldview, de- developing a Christian worldview. Uh, worldview is, is your perspective on the world in which we live, your perspective on life. It's, it's really what you believe. It includes what you believe about uh, the world we live in, about God. It's what you believe about death. It's what you believe about Satan. It's what you believe about the, the past, the present, the future. And it's the, it's the basis on which you make all your decisions in life. You base it on your perspective, your worldview. And uh, everybody, folks, has a worldview. They may not realize it, but everybody has a worldview. Um, Christianity, folks, is not a religion. If you really think about it, Christianity is a worldview because it's a perspective by which you decide and, and interact with everything around you. And so I want your worldview to be based not on the opinions or the ideas of our society, because those are not necessarily true. Those are not necessarily a good, stable foundation, okay? I want your worldview to be based on the truth. I've used this verse every single week, but it's true. 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's what I want for you. For you to establish your life on truth. And so we've talked about five different questions over the last number of weeks that we really needed to wrestle with to establish a great uh, godly worldview. Uh, The first question we looked at in week one was, why does it matter what I believe? I mean, isn't sincerity enough? And, And we talked about the fact that sincerity certainly is not enough. You can be sincerely wrong and, and the consequences are going to be different. So you've got, to, you've got to stand on what you believe to be true and, and really stay away from that which is false. Second week, we asked the question, well, how can I know what's true? If we're to base our lives on truth, how do I know what's truth? And we said that God has taken care of that by giving us His Word and giving us His Son, Jesus Christ. Week number three, we talked about uh, the fact that uh, God created all of us. We talked about, you know, where did we come from? And we talked about the fact that um, God created everything that we see in this world. And the Bible teaches that God thought of humanity first, but created us last. And in doing that, he, he made us unique. We're uniquely made. Then the fourth week, we talked about, well, why is this world then so messed up? And we talked about the fact that we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world. And it's broken because of the wrong choices, the sinful choices, and destructive choices that we've made in our life. So last week, we talked about what is God's solution to this messed up world. And we said it's in the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, We talked about the fact that the heart of the problem in this world is the problem of the heart. And until hearts are changed, this world isn't going to change. So now, based on all of that, we need to ask the question, how then am I supposed to live in this world as a follower of Jesus Christ? I mean, what am I gonna, how am I going to live, uh, live out my, my creeds and, and my deeds? In other words, how do I take my creeds, what I believe, 
and turn them into deeds, what, how I behave. And that's what we're going to look at today. Fortunately, uh, God gives us a model on how to live in this world. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, we read these words. It says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Well, duh, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? You know, we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. We ought to live like Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, we don't do that. Uh, we, we go in all sorts of different directions. We don't live the way we should. And, and, and so the big question is, you know, how am I supposed to live like Jesus? Because uh, obviously we're having difficulty doing that. Well, to help us answer that question, I want us to look at 10 truths that Jesus spoke of and really lived out in his life. Uh, these are 10 values that, that Jesus lived out, that he wants us to live out in our lives, that will really answer the question, how do we live in this world? Uh, and I want us, as we look at these 10 uh, values, 10 truths from Jesus Christ about how we're to live, I want you to notice how countercultural they really are, how they fly in the face of anything that our society is promoting today. You see, Jesus Christ is the perfect model for us to live by. I mean, not only did he give us some specific instructions for living, but he lived it out for us in, 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 in his life. And so every single verse that we're going to look at this morning <clears throat> is a direct quote from Jesus Christ that's found in the Gospels, okay? So let's jump into how do I live like Jesus Christ? How do I learn to do that? And, and, I, and what I'm saying is you've got to learn to build in some very uh, key values into your life. So number one, to live like Jesus means that I need to learn to live with discernment. Live with discernment. <clears throat> that is, I need to evaluate things. I need to test things. I need to be discerning in how I approach life. In other words, don't automatically accept what somebody says. Uh, just because you see it on a talk show or you read it in a magazine doesn't necessarily mean it's true, okay? Um, you need to ask those questions. Is this truth? Uh, does this square with reality? Is this a part of God's worldview? Is this how God would, would respond to this? See, Jesus calls you to think about the kind of life that you're living. Uh, look at John seven twenty four. Jesus said this, Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Now, what he's saying is, he's not saying that you need to be, you know, some kind of cynic or skeptic or a nitpicker or some kind of legalistic curmudgeon who goes around talking about how terrible and horrible this world is. Jesus doesn't want us to be criticizing everything. But he does say, use your brain. All right? You've got to be deceiving. Don't auto, uh, you've got to be discerning. Don't automatically assume that everything you hear or see or experience is true. We've got to learn discernment. Uh, let me give you an assignment. Uh, some of you have decided this year that you're going to read through the New Testament. Um, and so I, I'm just counting on the fact that most of you are probably still in the Gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you're somewhere in there. What I want you to do is take note of how many times Jesus says, watch out. 
It's one of his favorite phrases that he uses. Uh, he, he says, watch out, and, and he's going to list something that you need to watch out for. And if you could just pay attention to all those watch out statements of Jesus, you'd be a wiser person. And, and depending on your translation, it may say, beware of, or be careful, or guard yourself. What he's saying is, be discerning. The problem is, folks, that we are bombarded by radio and television and the internet and billboards and and movies and magazines and all that kind of stuff that's constantly hitting us. And over time what happens is you let your guard down and you start letting stuff into your mind that you know is wrong, but it just kind of gets in there. Uh, For instance, um, have you ever found yourself humming the words to a song that you know it's just way off base that you know you know I'm gonna get drunk tonight and go out and ride around town you know <laughs> where did that come from folks uh, why am I even singing those kinds of lyrics you see what's happened is somebody is putting their worldview in my mind even when I know that that's wrong um, or today we've got something called entertainment. And, and what happens? You know, I, I really wonder what's so entertaining about it. You go to a movie theater, you turn on TV, and you're watching somebody in infidelity or extramarital affair or somebody getting high and killing someone. And we're watching things that are a different worldview than what you and I are part of. Let me, let me do an intelligence survey here, okay? Let's, let's, let me ask this. How many of you believe everything that you read in the newspaper? Well, I don't, so I'm going to put my hand down, okay? Well, how many of you believe everything you read in magazines or you hear on the radio or you, you watch on TV or you see in the movies? Anybody? Any takers? All right, then another question. How many of you would say, I believe everything that God has said? So here's the kicker. Why do we spend so much time listening and watching and reading things that we don't believe rather than watching things that we do believe in? You you see where we are and what's happening? So that's why Jesus said we've got to deal with discernment in our world. Luke chapter 11, verse 35. Make sure the light you think you have is not really darkness. Make sure the light you think you have is, not, is really not darkness, okay? You may be thinking, hey, I, I'm doing it the right, I'm doing the right thing. But you may be off, operating off of a worldview, a world value system that has been programmed into your, into your mind through television and through music and through books. And, and folks, you know, we may just be brainwashed. And and we automatically think, well, this is the right thing to do. That's why Jesus said, make sure that the light you think you have is not really darkness. You've got to live with discernment. You've got to be discerning. The second thing that we need, if we're going to live like Jesus, to live in this world with a godly worldview, we need to learn to live with integrity. Live with integrity. And what is integrity? We've talked about that over the last uh, few weeks. And it means more than being honest. It it refers to wholeness as opposed to, you know, compartmentalizing your life. 
And, and what integrity means is that your life is the same. You don't act one way with the group at church and then act another way with your buddies on a fishing trip. And then you act another way at night when you're alone and you got your computer on in the dark. And, and in other words, what you are is what you are. You're, you're all the same. That's what it really means. Uh, and to have a, a, a lack of integrity means that I'm compartmentalizing my life and I'm different here as I'm, and I'm different over there and, and everything is different about me. You've got to stay uh, focused on one thing, central thing. That means that there's integrity in your life. I mean, let's suppose that you, or I are, you and I are in a rowboat and, uh, and we're fishing, okay? And, and you just happen to catch out of the corner of your eye and look over there, and I've got a drill out, and I'm drilling a hole in the boat. And you say, what are you doing? And I say, oh, this is my end of the boat. I can do with it whatever I want to do, you know. It's not a big deal, and just a hole in the boat, you know. Uh, now it's going to sink the whole boat, isn't it? Well, you may be saying right now, you know what, I'm, I'm drilling a hole right now. But it's not going to sink my family. I'm drilling a hole, but it's not going to sink my job. It's just a little segment in my life. Folks, you could be dead wrong because, folks, a hole in the boat is a hole in the boat is a hole in the boat. Uh, and when you compartmentalize your life, that is, you know, this is my reading life over here, and here's my church life over there, and, and here's my financial life, and then here's this kind of private thing I got going over. You're setting yourself up for a lack of integrity. Your life is not integrated. Now, let me be really clear here, because integrity isn't perfection. We're not talking about that. I mean, if you had to be perfect to have integrity, then nobody would have integrity because nobody's perfect in this world. There are no perfect people on this planet. But you just have to be exactly what you appear to be. The way I talk to you is the way I talk to my daughter the way I talk to my granddaughters. And the way I talk to my daughter and my granddaughters is the way I talk to other people. And the way I talk to other people is the way I talk to strangers. In other words, I am the same regardless of where I find myself or who I'm talking with. I don't act in different ways with different groups of people. What you see is what you get. And so Jesus said this in Luke 11, verse 36. If you're filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant. Now, what's he saying here? He's saying the result of integrity is illumination. I mean, when you have integrity, you shine like a star in the middle of the darkness. That's why God wants us to learn to live with integrity. A third thing, we need to learn to live with humility. Live with humility. Now, humility is, is a word that just is totally misunderstood uh, in so many ways. A lot of people are thinking humility is just going around saying, you know, I'm no good, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm a piece of junk. Folks, that's not humility, okay? When you go around saying, I'm nothing, and, and you're putting yourself down, you know what? That's actually a form of false humility and in reality, it's pride. It's pride because it's insecurity saying, I want to be noticed by you, so I'm going to put myself down so that you'll notice me. Folks, humility is not false modesty. It's not being quiet and reserved. It's not denying your strengths, okay? In a word, humility really is dependence. 
And the more humble a person is, the more dependent they are on God. The more humble you are, the more you depend on God and and the less you depend on yourself. That's what humility is all about. Uh, That's why in the very first beatitude of the very first sermon that Jesus preached, he said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means you're humble. Poor in spirit, you know, means God... You know, I know that I don't have it all together. And, and I admit that if I'm going to make it anywhere in life, if I'm going to succeed in this endeavor, if I'm going to be the man or the woman that you want me to be, I have got to have your help. That's what humility is about. That's what poor in spirit's about. See, Jesus is saying that God blesses those who realize their need for him. That's humility. And, and it's depending on God every single second. Now, Why is humility so important? Well, it's important because without humility, you're going to end up with a lot of stress in your life. A lot of stress in your life. And the reason you get stressed in life is because you lack humility. And what do I mean by that? Well, the two greatest sources of stress in our life uh, are these. First of all, you're trying to control that which is uncontrollable. That brings stress in your life. When you're trying to control that which is uncontrollable, trying to control things that that you have no control over, that stresses you out. And here's the truth, folks. Most of the things that are happening in your life, you can't control. You can control your attitude. You can control your response. But there are a lot of things that are going to happen in your life that you have no control over. Uh, Events and circumstances that occur that are beyond your control in any way. And the more you think you need to control that, the more stress you're going to have in your life. You know, this need to control is really an evidence of insecurity. Uh, when, When somebody who has a high need to control everything, when you come across them, it means one thing they have a high level of insecurity in their life. And they are afraid that you're going to find out that they're not cracked up to what they be, uh, what they, they think they are. And so therefore, they're going to try to put it over on you to think, you know, make you think, man, they're really in control and everything's good. And what does it do? It produces stress in their life. See, the more confident you are, and you're not insecure, the more confident you are, the more relaxed you are. You hold things with an open hand. Your confidence is based not on having to control everything. Because if you do that, you're going to have stress in your life. That's what humility is all about. Not having to control everything in your life. You're depending on God. You're putting it in His hands, which is the second great source of of trust, uh, excuse me, of stress, and that's a lack of trust in God. See, whenever you don't trust in God, your stress level just goes way out the roof, you know. Your worry goes up, your anxiety goes up, and your peace and and all just goes down the toilet. Because you're so stressed out, it just falls apart. Because suddenly now I'm depending on myself instead of depending on God. So what is the antidote to stress? The antidote to stress is humility. And here's a a great definition of humility. Look in there in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. God's word says this. It's Jesus speaking to us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you see what he's saying here? He says, come to me, all of those of you who are heavy and burdened. That is, all of those who are burned out, and I will give you more work to do. No, he doesn't say that, does he? No. He says, I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. And he's not talking about his egg yoke, okay? No, he's talking about the things that that attach two horses or two bulls or oxen together uh, that you put on them to pull them together. And what's the purpose of a yoke? The yoke is to half the burden. So now instead of one horse pulling the wagon, you have two horses that are pulling the load because they're yoked together. And so the purpose of a yoke is to half the load, to make it lighter. God never meant for you to pull all the load all by yourself in your life. Um, that's why you get tired all the time. You're pulling all your burden yourself. God never meant for you to do that. And so Jesus says, hey, yoke up with me. Put my yoke on you and we'll pull the load together. Folks, if you're stressed out this morning, this verse gives you three things that you can do to, relo- to relieve that stress that stress level. Come to Christ, give up control, and learn to trust. That's it. That's the antidote to stress. Come to Christ, give up control, and learn to trust. And folks, you may have to do that 50 times a day, but it will take care of the stress in your life. When you do, your stress level will go deeper. So come to Christ, give up control, learn to trust. There's another word for that, and that's the word humility. You've got to learn to live with humility. Number four, live with simplicity. Live with simplicity. Jesus obviously lived a very simple life. I mean, he lived a life of simplicity. Um, And if you and I could do that, that would lower our stress as well. But today, life just gets more and more and more complex everywhere we go. And not only that, we have got more material things in our lives right now than ever before. The, the materialism is out there. Uh, you know, the more things you have, the more you've got to care for it. The more you've got to clean it. The more you've got to protect it. The more you've got to insure it. The more you've got to, to repair it. And before you know it, the more things in your life seems to dominate your life. I mean, my guess is that you probably today have more possessions that your, than your parents ever had. You've got all these things in your life, and we acquire more and more each day. Have you, do you realize that today in our society, we have a new industry, a huge industry across America that never existed 50 years ago? And that's the personal storage unit. I mean, you've got so much stuff in your house, you don't have room for it. So you go out and you pay somebody else to be able to store your junk in their, in their shed, okay? I mean, think about where we are in all this. Look at what Jesus said. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Be on your guard. There's one of those watch out statements, okay? Something to pay attention to. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That is, it doesn't consist in the abundance of his stuff, okay? And folks, that is so countercultural. 
Because everything in our society says it's all about stuff, getting stuff, buying stuff. It's all about getting more. It seems like the whole purpose of life seemed, is simply to acquire an abundance of things in our life. And Jesus said a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things you possess. But this is exactly the opposite of what our culture teaches. I kind of know this because, you know, Jan and I are, are getting ready in a couple of weeks to move into an apartment. We've sold our house and uh, we're going to live in an apartment until we uh, retire and, and move on to, to, to Tucson this summer. Uh, but we've been downsizing. We've been selling stuff. I mean, you know, the only thing we got in our house right now is a bedroom set. We don't even have anything to sit on, okay? So we watch TV, we eat in the bed right now. And if you want to buy our bedroom set, sold, it's yours, okay? You can have it. We're downsizing. And so one of the things that I just found so amusing is that we've got a lot of our stuff listed on Elko, uh, you know, the marketplace, Elko uh, community, buy, buy this and all that. And so I go on there and I, and I see the things that people are selling, and I'm just amazed at what people buy. And they say, used only once. This is brand new. We've never used it. It's been in a box for 30 years. But here, why would you buy something that you'll never use? And the stuff they have on there is just incredible what people buy. Why do they do that? Because our society says, buy this, your life will be filled. You know, you'll be complete and all that. Our culture seems to teach that the whole purpose of life is to collect stuff. And so our society spends all this energy and all this money buying stuff. Folks, that's stupid. Because it isn't going to last it's going to one day be burned up. And think about it. People work and they work and they work just to get wealth. They spend the first half of their life sacrificing their health, uh, their, their health so they can get wealth, okay? And then they spend the second half of their life using their wealth to try to get health. What a conundrum we find ourselves in. Uh, that's just dumb. Do you see how countercultural Jesus' teaching is here? Everything in our society says work as hard as you can to get more and more and more things. But all of those things, you're not taking them with you. Uh, and they're not going to keep giving you happiness in life. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said this, How do you benefit if you gain the whole world? I mean stuff, okay? How do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? Did you catch that last question? Is anything worth more than your soul? Um, is there anything worth more than losing your health? Is there anything worth more than losing your family? Well, no, there is no thing, no stuff worth more than those relationships. So we've got to learn to live with simplicity. So I live with discernibility. I live with integrity. I live with humility. I live with simplicity. And fifth, I need to learn to live with possibility. Live with possibility because of faith. I mean, this is the faith factor of living. Think about what the Bible says. It says that the just shall live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whatever is not of faith is sin. And according to your faith, let it be done unto you. So God says, when you come to me and you believe in me, 
your possibilities are expanded in enormous ways. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus said this, with God, everything is possible. And I can agree with that. Man, he's created it all. But look at this next verse. Man, this is mind-blowing. He says here in in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, everything is possible to him who believes. Folks, that's a different issue. Um, And it's one that we struggle with. Because we have this idea that God must work in logical, calculated ways that we can see and, and that we can figure out. But what I want you to know is God can't be put in a box, all right? Because we serve a God who with whom all things are possible, and it's possible whether we can figure it out or we don't figure it out, okay? You know what the greatest sin is? It's probably a sin that you and I commit every single day. The greatest sin is unbelief. It's not trusting the God who made us, the God who created this entire universe. You know, everything I have, I owe Him. He's given it to me. It all came from Him. So why don't I trust Him? Why don't I believe His promises? You know, when I have unbelief in my life, I'm sinning against God. And and folks, the more you believe God, the, the more you trust God, the more limitless are the possibilities in your life. And the more, uh, imp, you know, the more uh, possibilities for your life, the more possibilities for your family, the more possibilities for your church, for your career, it, it's all based on the more you trust God. Can you imagine how terrible it would be if God were to come to us and He would reveal to us all the things that we might have done if we had believed in Him? If we had believed him, I mean, that would be hell to me to, to think I missed that. And, and yeah, God said, you, you just didn't trust me. I could have given you that. You just didn't believe me. So let me ask you three very personal questions. In what area or areas of your life are you limiting God because of your unbelief? See, God wants to bless you, but you're limiting Him because you don't believe in in His ways. I want to do it my way. I don't want to do it God's way. And and you're limiting God in your finances, in your relationships, in your career, in your family. You know, I, I know God wants me to do it this way, but, you know, I think I'll do it that way. I just don't know if He knows best. I want to, I want to kind of do it my way. Every time you doubt, you limit God yourself. Every time you doubt God, you limit yourself. Second question, what needs to change in your life? What needs to change in your life? What would you like changed in your family? What would you like changed in your relationships or, or in your world? You know, the things that you're facing might look like giant problems, but with God, all things are possible. So what would you like changed? And then the third question, what are you waiting for? You're not waiting for God. No, God is waiting for you. You know, God is doing some remarkable things in the world around us. And He wants you and I to be a part of it. I mean, why do you think God brought you to this church? He didn't bring you here just to sit and soak and and take up oxygen. 
he brought you here so you could be involved in what God wants to do in this church and in this community and in this world. You and I need to learn to live with possibility, to believe what God says he can do. Now, these first five that we've looked at all deal with our relationship with God. The last five, real quickly, deal with our relationship with other people. So we've got to learn to live with hospitality. And what is hospitality? It's just love in action, okay? It's practical love. It's love with hands and feet attached to it, okay? It's love that you see in action. And Jesus, think about it, he showed hospitality to everybody. Uh, and he expects his followers to do the very same thing. Here's the problem, okay? We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to show hospitality. Today, hospitality is a lost art in our nation. Um, People have very shallow relationships. They don't know how to show hospitality to one another. They don't know how how to care for one another. It's very possible for you to live your life without any close relationships and just go through the motions. But folks, that's not living. You need some close personal relationships in your life. You know, one of the areas that we have a a great opportunity for hospitality in our church is the way in which we relate to visitors who come on Sunday morning. When people show up in our church, you know, we think, okay, we've got a friendly church, and, and by and large, we do. But what I want you to know is that people who visit here on Sunday morning aren't looking for a friendly church. They're looking for a friend. They're looking for somebody who cares about them because this world out here is harsh and people are getting beat up and they're looking for somebody who says, hey, I care about you. They're looking for a friend and that's an area which we can can come alongside people and show them that we care. It's not that we shake their hands, hey, we're glad you're here. It's to say, hey, what's going on in your life? I care. I want to help out. And so they come to church, not looking for a friendly church, but looking for friends. Because we live in a harsh, broken, fallen world where people get hurt all the time. Uh, That's why our disciple groups, our small groups are so vitally important. Where you can get together with a group of people who care about you, who are concerned about what's going on, who can demonstrate love to you and hold you accountable. Uh, That's where we practice hospitality, is in those small groups. That's why I'm so passionate for people to get into a group, because that's where you find the friends that will hold you up in this crazy world in which we live. Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower, you've got to learn to live with hospitality. Seventh, to live like Christ, we need to learn to live with civility. Civility. So we've got discernibility, integrity, humility, simplicity, possibility, hospitality, and now civility. Uh, This is how God wants us to act toward one another, toward people that disagree with us. And you know, and I don't even need to get on my soapbox here, but sadly, we live in a society where civility is out the window. We live in one of the most uncivil nations in the world where where we just, how rude we are to one another today. And what do we do? We applaud people who are rude. We think, go get a man, you're rude. Just eat at it, you know? We're not polite. We're not civil with one another. 
Why is that happening? Well, because here in America, as a nation, we've become very pluralized. That is, we've got people coming from all sorts of different areas with different perspectives, different customs, different cultures, and you blend them together, and what happens? There's a lot of division that occurs in that. And, and, and so um, there's a lot of differences. And so there's a lot of, of incivil, uncivility that's going on out there. The media, man, they love it. They feed on it. They want people to f- yell and shout. You know those news programs where they have a panel? They don't take turns. What do they do? Everybody talks over everybody else, and you can't even follow a train of thought. And we love that kind of thing. One political leader said privately, he says, the best way to raise money is to find an enemy. You can raise 10 times the amount of money when you're against something than you can when you're for something. That's pathetic. And that's where we are, though, as, as, as a nation. But friends, it's not just on TV. But that uncivility is in our workplaces. It's in our stores. It's in our, in our homes. It's in our churches. <clears throat> and there's a great need in America and in our lives to restore civility into our culture, where you can disagree with somebody and not be disagreeable, where, where you can show respect to a person even if you don't agree with the direction they're going. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You see, the people who are favored by God are not the people who create conflict and division. But the peacemakers, the bridge builders, they're the ones who will be blessed by God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus said this, In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. That's one of the most famous quotes of Jesus. We call it the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, There's a word for that. That's the word civility, okay? Civility is just treating people like you would like to be treated, even if you don't agree with them. Even if they're flat, dead, wrong, you still treat them with civility. So you you need to treat others the way that you would like to be treated. That's civility. The eighth key, then, is really a step beyond hospitality and civility, and that is live with charity. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to live like Jesus, if you want to live his lifestyle, you know, the Jesus counterculture, radical lifestyle, you must learn to live with charity. That is with love. And and this word charity, it's kind of a big basket that holds a lot of concepts like forgiveness and mercy and kindness and grace and and graciousness and and compassion. All of these things are kind of wrapped up in the idea of, of charity. And so you're showing love to people. Folks, because we have been shown grace by God, God wants us to be gracious to other people. You and I have got to learn to cut people some slack, okay? Don't make them toe the line so hard. Give them a break in their their life. God says, I'm gracious to you. Why can't you be gracious to other people as well? You know, just don't quit beating them over the head with stuff. Ease up some. I I think that's what what God would say to us. And folks, that is so countercultural. Because we live in a culture that says, fight your enemies and love your friends. What did Jesus say? Look at Matthew 5, 44. But I say, love your enemies. 
Pray for those who persecute you. Now, let me be honest with you. I don't want to do that, okay? I don't, I don't, maybe you all do, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to pray for them. Uh, <clears throat> you know, because they tick me off. Okay, they make me angry sometimes. Um, Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for them. Um, so how are, you, how are you doing on that, okay? Uh, <clears throat> you know, you're out shopping and you get the clerk who's the jerk. How do you respond? Does it bring out the worst in you or do you let the best shine through in that? God says, show them charity. Give them some, a little forgiveness. Cut them some slack. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they've just experienced. Uh, you know, so learn to feel with them and what they're going through. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Uh, Jesus said, folks, you and I are not here to judge the world. It's time for Christians to stop judging the world and start loving the world. God so loved the world. Yeah, we're in a battle for the values, for the ideals that we believe in. We're in a cultural war. I, I agree. I get that. Okay. But the people who disagree with you, they're not the enemy. They're the mission field. They're people that Jesus Christ died for. And Jesus says, I love them and I want you to love them as well. So we got to learn to live with charity. Ninth, real quickly, we need to live with generosity. Um, why does God want us to, be, to live with generosity? Because our God is a generous God. He wants us to be like Him. And we're closer to being like God when we're generous than any other, any other time. And every time I give, it makes me closer to Jesus Christ. It enlarges my heart. Every time I give, you know what it does? It breaks the grip of materialism on my life. Because our, our, our world says, get, 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 buy, buy, buy. And when I give, that's a spiritual victory. Whether I realize it or not, whether I feel anything, it's a spiritual victory in my life. Um, Luke 16, verse 9, Jesus said, Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. <clears throat> now, that's a tough verse to understand, okay? Uh, it looks like God is saying, hey, you can go out and you buy your friends. You know, hey, I'll give you $100 if you'll be my friend. But when you dig down deeper into this verse, here's what it really means. And Jesus says, Take some of your money and use it to help people learn about Jesus Christ. And then one day when you get to heaven, there are going to be people who are going to come up to you and they're going to say, hey, thank you. You gave and, and your giving helped build a church and that church reached me for, for Jesus Christ. And so I'm in heaven because of your gift. That's what he's saying here. That they're in heaven forever as your friend uh, because you gave. You invested your, your money in the lives of others. God says, I want you to learn to live in, and be generous. Um, you realize there are more promises in the Bible about generosity than any other subject. Jesus said this in Luke 6, verse 38. Given it will be given you, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you again. So God is saying here, I get to you, you get to choose, excuse me, you get to choose how much God's going to bless your life. Whatever measure you use, I'll measure it back to you again. And folks, if you're not giving to the Lord 
You need to start giving, not because the church needs it, not because God needs it, but you need it. Your heart needs it. You need to be obedient because God says, give to me and watch how much I bless your life, how I take care of your needs. You know, I've, I've heard people say, well, I can't afford right now to, to give. What I say to them in return, you cannot afford not to give. You've made a mess of your finances. Do you want God to help you straighten that out? Then you need to start doing it God's way. Give that first 10% to the Lord and then watch as He takes that other 90% and He expands it to meet your needs in, in just incredible ways. And you'll be amazed at what He's doing. So Jesus says, learn to give with generosity. And then lastly, we're to live with priority. That, that means know what's first. First things first. Uh, you realize Jesus was very purpose-driven. I mean, he knew what his priorities were. The earliest statement that we have recorded in the Gospels that Jesus spoke when he was 12 years old, he says, I must be about my father's business. He already had a life plan written out for his life in his mind. And then the very last words that he said when he died, he said, it is finished. That's kind of bookends to a successful life, wouldn't you say? I know what I'm going to be doing, and it's finished. I've done it all. Folks, I want for you to live a successful life so that at the end of your life you can look back and you say, you know what, I carried out God's purpose for my life. I did it God's way. I had my priorities straight. I did it correctly. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 30, 31. He says this, these things dominate the thoughts of the unbeliever all over the world. And he's talking about getting your, your needs met, okay? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and He will give you everything that you need. And what does that mean? Well, what it really means, if you boil it down to its finest, it means that when I worry... I'm acting like an atheist. Do you realize that worry is, is, uh, is practical atheism? Because what I'm saying is, I don't really believe that God is going to take care of my needs. I don't believe that God is going to take care of my family. You know, I really don't believe that God can meet my needs. That's what worry is saying. Uh, it's saying, I don't believe there's a, there's, I have a heavenly father. I, I must be some kind of spiritual orphan out there. Jesus said, your Father knows what you need. But put God's work first. That, that's your priorities. And all these other things will be added to you as well. <clears throat> Have you ever heard somebody say something like, well, I'm just trying to find myself. Um, well, guess what? They're never going to find themselves unless they do what this next verse says. Matthew 10, verse 39, this is from the message paraphrase. It says, if your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. Folks, the most countercultural statement that we could be making in our day and time right now is to tell people, it is not about me. Because all the advertising in our world says it's about you. You deserve this. You ought to get this. You know, we do it all for you. Uh, have it your way and all those kinds of things. Everything that our society teaches is self-centered. 
And yet God says the only way that you're ever going to find yourself is to forget yourself and to discover God. Put Him first in your life. And then all these things will be added to you. Now, I want to get real practical. Look back at your notes here. Those of you online, those here in the, in the worship center. Look at those ten different things. Would you put a plus sign by maybe one or two of those that, hey, I'm doing a really good job living in this way. Maybe you're living with simplicity. Uh, maybe you're, you're being very civil with people around you. Maybe you, you know, you, you, humility is a part of your lifestyle. Put a couple of plus signs there by one or two of those that, that you're really doing well. And then maybe there's a couple of those you really need to work on. And would you put a minus sign by those? Just say, here are two areas that I need God's help to really do a better job in doing that. What can you do this week to strengthen one of those areas in your life? Let's pray. As we pray, I want to just pray a prayer and let this be your prayer as well. Just pray these words in, in your heart. Say, dear God, I want to learn to live with discernment. I don't want to be a cynic or skeptical or anything like that, but I do want to use my brain. And I don't want to just automatically accept what other people say is true. And I want to learn to live with integrity where, where there's no dark places in my life. Um, I don't want to compartmentalize in any way. And I want to learn to, to live with humility where I can just depend on you completely. Forgive me um, for those times that I get stressed out, when I try to control things, when I don't trust you. And help me to learn just to come to you and give you control and trust in you. And help me to live a life of simplicity, not, not worry about stuff and piling it up, but just realize that life is really not about things. Help me to learn to see the possibilities, to believe you and to trust you for great things in my life. Help me to see great possibilities in my marriage, in my children, in my family, in my job, and in any area of my life. Help me to see the possibility of believing you. Help me to have faith. Then, Lord, teach me hospitality to remember that uh, what I do for other people is just like doing it for you. The people that I disagree with or who disagree with me or put me down, help me to treat them civilly, to do to other people what I want them to do to me. Let other people bring out the best in me and, and certainly not the worst in me. Help me to be forgiving and to show grace and, um, and cut people some slack. And help me to be generous so that I can be like you, Lord Jesus, because you've been so generous to me. And help me to live with you as the first priority in my life. I want you to be first. I pray all of this in your name. Amen.